Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I am Lee Campbell-Taylor, the interim pastor here, and Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. I need to note that this is one of those weeks when the sermon title that's printed in your bulletin is merely an artifact from what seemed like a good idea on Tuesday. Now then, I want to start by highlighting some language from the passage that Keene just read, because I want us all to dwell with it a bit longer. Isaiah declares that God self-identifies as the one who created you, formed you, redeemed you. God goes on to say, I have called you by name, you are mine, and even you are precious in my sight honored, and I love you, then do not fear, for I am with you." Those divine reassurances were conveyed by the prophet whom biblical scholars have dubbed Second Isaiah. The purpose of the reassurances was to address the existential fear that was felt by Israelites during the Babylonian exile. As Hebrew Bible scholar Kathleen O'Connor puts it, this poem is a vision of recreation. It tells of the new things God is doing. O'Connor continues by relating this passage to today's gospel passage, saying, all the promises articulated by second Isaiah receive a new layer of meaning in Jesus' baptism. Jesus passes through the water and comes fully to his identity. He becomes the ransom for many. He brings new life. He reveals God's love for the people. In the sacrament of baptism, Christians too pass through the waters and receive the promise of new life that does not exempt them from suffering, but assures them I have called you by name. I am with you. So before we hear the gospel passage, I want us to take in all of the identity markers laid out by second Isaiah. First, notice that we learn about God's identity. God, the text declares, is the one who creates and redeems, calls and claims, honors and loves, accompanies us and challenges us not to fear. And because that is God's identity, we can extrapolate this about our own identity. We are the recipients of all that grace. We are the ones blessed and challenged to be created and recreated by God, to be called and claimed and honored and loved by God, to be free from fear because we are accompanied by God, even in our trials. Hold on to that identity. 
as we turn to consider how identity is further disclosed in the gospel. Thanks to the seasonal sweep of Advent and Christmas and Epiphany, we have spent the past six weeks or so pondering the events that lead up to or follow right after Jesus' birth. Last Sunday, we took a peek at the Magi, who are presented only in the Gospel of Matthew. And today, we wrap up the much larger story that dominates the opening chapters of the Gospel of Luke, the story of the intertwined lives of Jesus and his cousin, John the Baptist. You may recall that Luke focuses first on John by telling the story of his parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah. In fact, Luke presents the better-known story of Jesus' parentage as an offshoot of that other tale. I mean, remember, the angel's famous visit to Mary, it begins in the sixth month. The sixth month of what? The sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. The very conception of Jesus is presented relative to the development of John. And then when newly pregnant Mary travels to visit Elizabeth, it is John's in utero reaction that Elizabeth recounts in her exaltation of the child whom Mary carries. So Luke introduces these two prophets, John and Jesus, in tandem. Well, today's passage ends that parity. This is Luke chapter 3, beginning with verse 15. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And on that note, Luke writes John out of the narrative, explaining that John was imprisoned for denouncing self-absorbed King Herod. Luke's audience, including us, is now free to focus exclusively on Jesus because John's final work was to prepare the way of the Lord by speaking out against unrighteousness and by baptizing the crowd. Luke continues, now, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven came, you are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Boy, that is some mighty clear identity, isn't it? In certain respects, Jesus didn't have what you'd call an easy life, but in terms of knowing his identity and having it so absolutely affirmed, well, this is as good as it gets. Prophets promised his coming. Angels heralded his advent. And now the Holy Spirit and the voice of God confirm his identity. You are my son, the beloved. 
With you, I am well pleased. I love that this intimate affirmation occurs following a baptism that's lumped in with the baptizing of throngs of miscellaneous, beloved but broken children of God. As the text says, now when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was also baptized. He's one of the crowd, one with the crowd, one with us. And Luke emphasizes that. We won't take the time to slog through it, but Luke's very next sentence launches 16 verses of Jesus' genealogy, starting with, he was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, and tracing all the way back through all that was known of human history at that point, all the way back to encompass all of humanity, all the way back to conclude with son of Enos, son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God. Jesus' divinely named identity, beloved son with whom God is well pleased, is thus accompanied by this other crucial counterpoint Jesus is also one of us, one with us. So his identity is clear, but it's complex. And isn't that true of us, too? Remember 2nd Isaiah. We are the ones blessed and challenged to be created and recreated by God, to be called and claimed and honored and loved by God, to be free from fear because we are accompanied by God even in our trials. That is our God-given identity. Yet we live, I think, in a sort of golden age of identity, wrestling with identity as never before. Now, there is much to celebrate in that. Cultural identity markers that have historically been rigid and confining, inhospitable to the full diversity of God's good creation, those identity markers are expanding. Consider gender. For most of our lives, there have been exactly two choices, male or female. That simplistic duality is starting to fade. Or consider ethnicity. The 2020 census made it easy for respondents to acknowledge more than one ethnic heritage, and the category multiracial saw a 276% increase over the prior census. Now, some of that, of course, is the apples to oranges nature of the survey instrument itself, but even taking that into account, it's clear that ethnic identity like gender identity, is now far more nuanced than ever. That said, our golden age of identity also has its shadow side. Identity markers have become wedges that divide Republicans from Democrats, that, that divide the 1% from us, and also divide the homeless from us, Worse, identity labels are increasingly weaponized. It's not just the eye roll insult, okay, boomer. There is no love whatsoever in terms like those snowflakes or those anti-vaxxers. And it gets more worrisome still. We are in a precarious time 
when some of us, some of us have lost track of our God-given identity and instead find our identity in blind allegiance to mere mortals, Donald Trump is but one example. Others of us build our identity from uncompromising allegiance to some cause, naming ourselves pro-choice or pro-gun or pro-Buckhead City. Here's the thing, church. Our gender, our ethnicity, our politics, our nationality, our sexual orientation, our ideological affiliations, our socioeconomic status, our marital status, our employment status, our vaccination status, all of that pales in comparison to what God declares through the prophet Isaiah and through the baptism of Jesus. We are to recognize ourselves and everyone else as a child of God, beloved by God, and we are additionally blessed to be baptized into Christ. When I think of baptism, I cannot help but remember the first person I baptized. Eight years old, he lived with his mother and his younger brother. Their dad had abandoned the family, and so the mom had scooped them up and moved from Colorado to Georgia. The boys knew no one. And the younger brother, about five years old, his developmental difficulties had exploded into behavioral problems so that he took up all the oxygen in whatever room he was in. And so his older brother had shaped himself to take up as little oxygen as possible. He was still and quiet. And one day his mother called me at the church and said that the older boy would like to be baptized. I confess I <laughs> breathed a sigh of relief when she said that the younger boy was not ready. And since that older boy was such a thoughtful child, I asked if we could meet and I could talk with him some about the meaning of baptism. And so after school the next week, they stopped by my office. The mom stepped just inside the door as the boy came in, his head slightly down, his shoulders slightly hunched. But as he climbed up on a chair, he smiled at me. And so I said, are you excited about being baptized? Yes. Well, good. Can you tell me why? Yes. Because we've been here for a while, but we haven't really been members. And so when I'm baptized, I'll be just like all the other kids. I'll belong. My theologically sophisticated explanations of baptism went right out the window, leaving me completely unguarded, and so something possessed me to ask a question that one should never put to an eight-year-old boy. I heard myself saying, well, when I put the water on your head, would you like a little water or a lot of water? <laughs> a lot! like when they dumped the bucket on the coach's head. We didn't do that. <laughs> but after he was baptized and he and I were walking out in the congregation, I saw the body of Christ embody that blessing from God. A middle-aged woman hugged the boy. A Navy veteran saluted. 
A little girl climbed up on the pew to wave to him. A new visitor shook his hand, and the youth group sitting in the front pew of the balcony did the wave. That boy might as well have heard a voice from heaven from identifying him as God's own beloved. God's own, God's beloved is our God-given identity. We are people blessed and challenged to be created and recreated by God, to be called and claimed and honored and loved by God, to be free from fear because we are accompanied by God even in our trials. And as best I can tell, that is true for everyone. So let's beware of too strongly identifying ourselves or anyone, anyone else by any lesser identity markers. Instead, let us strive to live more fully into the identity given to us by God, affirmed for us in the font. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.